Hello and welcome to the Bungler Cricket Podcast. I'm Roshan and for the first time in a long time we have actual cricket to preview. The West Indies are touring Bangladesh for a one-day and test series and to look forward to the series I'm joined by Santoki from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. Hello mate. Hi Roshan, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure and um, yeah looking forward to talking about the return of international cricket to Bangladesh. As you said it's been a long wait. Do you know what? It's been, well, I think almost a year. Zimbabwe were the last sort of uh, team to tour, and that was towards the end of February, March last year. And so actually talking about cricket again, international cricket again, feels quite unfamiliar. It feels quite new. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, someone following the West Indies cricket team, how's the last year been? Because obviously the West Indies have had cricket. You know, you were in England, you are in New Zealand. Has it felt like there was, a, there was a pandemic going on, or has it been kind of busy? Yes. I guess, as you said, it's, it's completely opposite to Bangladesh in that West Indies have, we played so much cricket during the pandemic. Obviously, we were the first side to go on an international tour when we came to England over the summer. We got a, a test win, which was which was nice, um, eventually losing the series. And then the CPL, Caribbean Premier League, started after that. We had players featuring an IPL and then a recent tour to New Zealand, which was a disaster in terms of performances. But it has been good to see consistent action from the West Indies. And um, looking forward to this tour, although um, there is a lot to talk about in terms of squad selections and the whole situation regarding the bubble in Bangladesh at the moment. Well, this is it. Like Normally I come into one of these sort of podcasts where you know, I'm going to preview a series and I'll go, well, here's the head-to-head and here's how the players have been performing and here's who's in form. But I, I, I don't know. I, sort of, I was thinking about it before we started recording and it, I don't know where to start, if I'm honest, because... <laughs> Bangladesh haven't played for a year mm. and at the start of last year I think we, Bangladesh very much came to the cricket so their, their cricket sort of going well this is the start of a, a new four-year cycle if you know imagining sort of World Cups being the kind of I guess the milestones of what you work towards um, and so we had a squad largely built of, of players who played at the 2019 World Cup with a few new faces coming in and with the, with the lack of cricket over the last 12 months for me, it's hard to know where Bangladesh pick up. Do we pick up where we left off in early 2020 with the same team and the same squad and the same players? Or should there have been significant change for the squad? And it is a combination of, you know, the names we've already heard before, you know, your Tamims, your Mashfix, your Marmadil, the same people we've been talking about for the last four or five years, um, sprinkled with a couple of sort of new new names. And so for me, it feels like we're sort of picking up the baton from where we left off, but potentially have less time to build that squad for the next World Cup. Yeah, I guess um, look at, from from my perspective, looking at the Bangladesh squad as a cricket fan, obviously, as you said, you've got Tamin, um, Shakib is back, um, Rahim. You've got really experienced players. And the thing with the Bangladesh squad is these players, then they've been playing for so long and they're not particularly veteran players. They're still in their early 30s. So they've just got vast experience. But it'd be interesting to get your opinion on whether you think, obviously, with Bangladesh's success in the Under-19 World Cup, whether you felt more younger players should have been integrated into this squad selection? I kind of have mixed feelings on it because, yeah, Bangladesh won the Under-19 Cricket World Cup. And so the natural thing was to go, right, who can we pluck from those from that squad and bring into the kind of main team? But then at the same time, I think over maybe the last sort of, maybe sort of five, ten years ago, I think Bangladesh got very hesitant about rushing players through. I think there was a period where... The, the team felt like they were rushing these players through without really having given them the development. So, you know, when, when people like Mushfiq and Tamim and Shakib, so they're all like 17, 18, 19, you know, going back a bit further, Mohamed Ashraf was starting at 16. And there was, there was a whole big thing about going, whoa, 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 hang on. We can't just put people straight from the under-19 team into the national team. There's a very big gap to, 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 to bridge between those two. And so I wonder whether that consideration has sort of come into play a little bit because, I mean, notably Akbar Ali's not in the team. And I think everyone sort of raised eyebrows about how he's not even in the preliminary squad. Mm. Um, I wonder whether that's the BCB 
erring a little bit on the side of caution and going, hang on, winning an under-19 World Cup is an incredible achievement. But the gap between that and actual international cricket against full-strength teams is a big one. Yeah. I think they're trying to achieve a balance here of going, right, here's the tried and tested, established, experienced, quality players, and here's a sprinkling of new people. Yeah, and I guess the headlines around your squad selection is obviously the omission of um, Murtaza. What, what is your personal opinion on that? Do you think it's the right time for him to be left out of the squad? Do you know what? I will always have, I think, a regret over Mashrafi. And I think, you know, COVID has ruined a lot of things for a lot of people. And for me, mm. the one thing, you know, Bangladeshi fans are very sentimental, very poetic. And the one thing they wanted to do more than anything was give Mashrafi a send-off, a finale, a kind of mm. a home game. He comes out, he has his... I don't, I've never seen an international cricket testimonial, actually, but, mm. but the equivalent to that, basically. <laughs> um, and, you know, he, he, he didn't retire. And... I don't think he was ever going to retire. He reminds me a lot of sort of David Beckham retiring as England captain. You know, he was going to yeah. hand over the armband, but was such a servant to the country and so so loyal to the game. He was never going to retire. He was always going to end when you know the game turned his back on him, if that makes sense. And so, mm. the omission of Mashrafi sort of does kind of make sense because he's not someone who, who who Bangladesh needs to kind of earmark for the future. Add to that, during the domestic tournaments that have happened this year. The Pacers have really found their form. People like Rubal Hussain and Tuscan Ahmed, who've sort of been in and out of the squad and not necessarily had the best of forms, they've really found their rhythm. So I think the BCB and the Bangladesh team will have gone, actually, we do have options here. So I'm sad. My, my main regret is that we've not given one of Bangladesh's greatest all-time players a fitting farewell. But mm. I guess you can't really do that in your first games back after a year. It's too much of a risk. And I think Mashrafi is the sort of player that if, is it, if he's in the squad, he needs to be in the team. You don't leave a play like him on the bench at all and so I can I can I understand why it's happened but on the flip side great to see Shaki back in the team and I think that's going to generate a lot of excitement I mean surely for say say for an opposition team and as a West Indies fan is he the one player that you look to and go well he's a danger player for Bangladesh yeah he's like the standout player I think cricket fans around the world when you think of Bangladesh at the moment you think of Shaki um and as well as in the last year, the whole debate has been about who's the best all-rounder in the world, Jason Holder from West Indies or Ben Stokes, for instance. And Shakib's kind of, obviously, because of the ban, he's kind of fallen away from the limelight. So you'd imagine he'd be determined to kind of reclaim his spot as a world-class all-rounder and make up for lost time as well. Yeah, 100%. Um, in Bangladesh, they had a couple of uh, sort of domestic tournaments made up of sort of squad players, high-performance squad and under-19 players. And Shakib became, became eligible to play in the T20 Cup. And his performances were... I mean, they were good, but they weren't like head and shoulders above everyone else. I think everyone was sort of half expecting a, a, a dream return to cricket. But I think he may have well been a little bit rusty and not had the quite fit, fitness sort of there. But I understand he's been working hard on that to sort of get himself up to scratch for this tournament. And I think for Bangladesh fans, seeing their favourite player, you know, the greatest Bangladesh player ever produced, it's going to be one of the big headlines seeing him back in a Bangladesh kit. Um, but yeah, so I, I think I think I think there's a balance there to be struck, and so it's going to be very interesting to see what the starting lineups for me are going to be. And one of the reasons I say that is, of course, the West Indies squad, which let's let's talk a little bit about now. I mean, <laughs> what is it, like nine uncapped players in the squad of 15? Yeah, yeah. And I think if Bangladesh had known beforehand exactly what the composition of the West Indies squad was, particularly for the ODI leg of the series, I'd imagine they would have brought more in of the under-19 squad um, to get to get that experience because massive, massive wholesale changes to the West Indies squad. We've had... 10 players pull out for concerns to do with COVID and two players pull out for personal reasons across both formats, Test and ODI. So we've had Jason Holder pull out, captain of the Test side, Kyron Pollard, captain of the ODI side, pull out as well. And then you've got the likes of big-time players with the white ball, Evan Lewis, Shimron Hetmeyer, Shai Hope, Nicholas Poran, all pull out due to 
what West Indies have said are COVID concerns. So the ODI squad that West Indies will have taken to Bangladesh are going to be massively inexperienced. And you worry about how competitive they will be against the vastly experienced Bangladesh side. Well, this is it. There are sort of for me two kind of trains of thought here. Number one, it creates immense pressure now for Bangladesh to whitewash the series. Like the Bangladesh, the sort of Bangladesh West Indies head to head of late has tended to go in Bangladesh's favour, even, even though I'll be honest, a lot of people still consider them to be upset. I think Bangladesh have won the last maybe eight out of the last ten games, including the yeah. World Cup, the Island Series, etc. And those were against you know largely full full strength teams. But for me, that now creates an expectation. Bangladesh should go and win these games. But then Bangladesh would reply and go, well, hang on, we haven't played cricket for a year, so mm. maybe we're not entirely up to scratch. So in terms of easing back into the kind of into the one-day arena, it, it couldn't have gone better. My only sort of sadness is, you know, you do want to watch your side playing competitive cricket. You do want the big names to be coming to tour Bangladesh. And I think there's a little bit of a kind of uh, a sore patch because you know, Bangladesh have been used to players dropping out. You know, it's the, it's the mm. test series when players get rested or it's the test series when players go, oh, I don't want to burn out. I remember, you know, Dale Stein did it a few years ago and a couple of the England squad, etc. So it is something that we're used to. The only difference this time is you kind of go, actually, maybe COVID is a valid reason. But having said that, the West Indies have played a lot of cricket out of the <laughs> And so it's not quite... You want to believe, do you know what? With COVID, I, I'm very respectful. People can go, actually, I'm hesitant or I don't want to take risk or I'm thinking about my own safety. I respect that fully. But had it not been for like quite a lot of international cricket happening across the last sort of 12 months, mm. there is a little bit of a kind of, for me, a slight question mark as to why Bangladesh and also on why such a scale. And it's hard to know for me whether it is a genuine COVID safety thing. You know, it could be an assumption that maybe Bangladesh's safety protocols aren't going to be as tight as England uh, and New Zealand. But the West Indies did send out a contingent to sort of uh, evaluate the safety and, and that, that got, you know, the pass marks by sort of international standards. Or is it just like, I don't know, fatigue from being in bubbles for the last sort of best part of the last year and that place have gone actually fancy some time at home with the family and friends? Yeah, well, I, th- I think this is a major talking point to the series, I guess, because as you said, we have to respect players' decisions. At the end of the day, there's a global pandemic. Nearly as of, as of recording, nearly 2 million people have died across the world. So you have to respect decisions of players to look after their own health first and foremost. But when it comes to this tour, before the tour, I, before the selections had been made for West Indies, I had assumed there would be a few dropouts just because of, as you said, bubble fatigue. The likes of Jason Holder have pretty much been in a bubble for six months now. So you, you can give them that. There, there's going to be that mental fatigue. However, when we're hearing that players such as Shy Hope and Evan Lewis are pulling out, who haven't played any cricket or been in a bubble since September, then that was when I started to question what were the reasons as to this mass pullout of players. Now, what's been revealing is Nicholas Poran um, in an interview to ESPN a few days ago. He said, as a player, I wasn't sure about going. I was a bit sceptical of the health situation there because other players weren't going either. I felt I didn't have to take the risk, which suggests that there were issues with the health and security protocols in Bangladesh. Yet, as you said, West Indies have sent out a contingency of medical and security experts who approved the protocols in place. So it would be good to have some more transparency as to what's going on. Did players drop out because they didn't want to be in a bubble? Or were there issues with Bangladesh's COVID protocols in comparison to what England and New Zealand have done? Or is it just a case of literally, as you said, in global cricket, teams still consider Bangladesh to be minnows despite the the results they get and they just didn't want to go on tour there while there was a pandemic on. So I would like to get a bit more transparency as to why so many players did actually drop out. I I imagine somewhere there is a West Indies squad WhatsApp group and it almost feels like (laughs) 
with, with, with the number of players that have dropped out, like 10 sort of high-profile players dropping out, there was almost a snowball effect of, of one after the other going, actually, if he's not going, I don't need to go. And if he's not going... And actually, the pandemic is a valid reason. You know, and obviously, you know, Bangladesh is, is not England. Playing in Hampshire, you have a hotel where you can literally walk out your room and be on the pitch. And Bangladesh mm. doesn't have that sort of same level of facilities. And so one of the main sort of sources of anxiety for fans now is we don't want anyone to have a, a positive COVID test result during this tour mm. because we want the bio bubble that they've created and the system they've, they've created to be proven to be airtight so that other teams follow suit. Also, what, what's interesting is um, I had a quick Google before, before this um, recording. I think Bangladesh at the moment have had 7,000 deaths in total from COVID, which is, which is still a high number. But relative to when you think, when West Indies did come out to tour England in June, England was a thousand people dying a day from COVID. It was one of the worst countries in the world um, to go to and the players still went ahead. So you're wondering if there were concerns about the protocols in Bangladesh, what exactly, what exactly was told to the players? Yeah, that's a valid question. I think what exactly was told to the players and what were, I guess, assumptions about Bangladesh? Because the one thing about the Bangladesh cricket board is they will close roads to keep it safe. I remember when there were security concerns during the England um, tour a couple of years ago and they literally closed like rows after rows of roads and did like army escorts of the teams to get into the stadium safely. So, it, it, you know, when the cricket board, when the government want to want to do something, they do it well in Bangladesh. Um, mm. And the members of the of Cricket West Indies who were obviously very satisfied with what they saw because otherwise this tour would not go ahead. It's something that I don't think we're ever going to get an answer to. I think it's going to be like a niggling feeling um, yeah, series, and I think it will rear its head depending on what the performances are. Do you think? I, and I, I think back to two thousand and nine, actually, when I think Bangladesh toured West Indies amidst a load of sort of contract uh, debates with the team, and the West Indies fielded a kind of a sort of second string team against Bangladesh in the Test and One Day series, which Bangladesh kind of comprehensively won. Yeah, but as a result. Whenever Bangladesh were written about, you know, you know, when they have that kind of paragraph and a sort of detailing Bangladesh's history, and at the time it was like Bangladesh have only ever won four Test matches, two of which were mm. against the depleted West Indies squad, and there was always that but, there was always that asterisk against the, the West Indies win that it was against a weakened side. If Bangladesh win these matches, does it take anything away from them winning because the West Indies haven't set the full strength squad? Unfortunately, I, I do think it will go that way. I mean, as you referenced in 2009, at the time I remember it. Even in, in West Indies, it was seen as an embarrassing loss to Bangladesh, obviously, because Bangladesh were a relatively um, new test side. They were considered as the minnows of the game. So even though it was a depleted West Indies squad, there was embarrassment that we, we had lost to Bangladesh in the, in the series, especially at home. But as you said, looking back on it now, in hindsight, there has been an asterisk sort of placed against it and said, oh, it was a depleted team. The players won strike. So in, in, it didn't really count, even though you did put up the performances to win. And I feel that will be the same issue with this series, however you look at it, if Bangladesh get a comprehensive win in ODIs and Test Series, it will be a case of, oh, it was a depleted West Indies squad playing away from home. That was expected. And anything less than that would be a disaster for Bangladesh. I mean, even in the ODI series, you imagine if if you lose the series 2-1, I can imagine fans in Bangladesh asking, how did we lose one ODI to um this depleted West Indies side? So in that regard, it's kind of like a lose-lose situation for Bangladesh. Yeah, I think complacency is the biggest fear right now because they are a quality side. And actually, you know, when those team sheets come out, it will be full of players who've played with each other for over 10 years, but haven't played for the last 12 months, more or less. And so the gap between playing in the domestic tournaments versus international cricket will be felt. It will yeah. be felt. Um, and so I think I think there's a sort of, there's a nervous excitement about that first match when they take the field for the first time to see where the Bangladesh team are, because that will be the first litmus test against 
I guess international opponents because the two tournaments that have taken place in Bangladesh have been very domestic. It's all been local players, mm. you know, under 19 team, high performance squad, uh, and very little else to compare yourself to. And of course, one of the main criticisms of the structure in Bangladesh is that the gap between the, the kind of national setup and the domestic setup is a big one. And so one could argue that sort of Tamim and your Mamadullahs and your Shakibs haven't really been properly tested for mm. the best part of a year. And so, yeah, I think complacency is going to be, is actually going to set in. And I think that complacency wouldn't have been there had it been a full-strength West Indies squad. And I think that's an additional mental pressure that Bangladesh team are going to have to carry into this series. And then the other thing is, I guess I guess West Indies now have got gotten used to playing in bio-bowls and playing yeah. in empty stadiums. And those two things are, so, I'd say, relatively new to Bangladesh. I mean, they, they've played these, they played the domestic series and they've played in empty stadiums. So, so it won't be in, entirely unfamiliar. But the pressure and of the results of an international series will be new to them. So how will the lack of crowds affect affect the games? How has it affected the West Indies? Because the Bangladesh fans are, for me, probably amongst the loudest in the world. They are literal, a literal 12 person. So is that advantage West Indies by having empty stadiums? I think, yeah, it, the empty stadiums will benefit West Indies in terms of, in the subcontinent, especially Bangladesh, fan atmosphere can have such an impact on the opposition. Um, so playing in front of no fans will, will naturally benefit the competitive aspect of the game for West Indian players. And as you said, they've got used to playing in bio-secure bubbles and in front of no fans. However, I think what is going to hinder West Indies on this tour is when we went to England to tour, we had four weeks of preparation time isolating and training in teams. So they were able to have a lot of warm-up matches and preparation. And that's why we were able to win the first test against England, because we were more prepared. However, on this tour, there's a short turnaround. The teams landed in Dakar today, Sunday, as of recording. They'll have three days of isolation and then I believe they have one warm-up match before starting the ODI series. So there's literally about a week for them to get used to conditions and train together and practice, which I don't think is long enough time to benefit the side. And so even though there won't be any fans in the stadium, I do think they'll be at a massive disadvantage competitively against this Bangladesh side. And actually, that, that is a fair point. The the lack of, I guess, gelling time for what is yeah. I guess, a, a sort of squad relatively new to play with each other. Do the West Indies know what their starting eleven is going to look like, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> on, I'll, I'll start with the positive. On the positive, I think our bowling is pretty good for, for the ODI side. Um, I guess we'll, our two main spinners will be Hayden Walsh Jr., um, who's in the ODI side anyway. He's one of three regular ODI players who have come on the tour alongside um, Sunor Ambris and Alzari Joseph. So Hayden Walsh Jr. will be the main spinner, along with Akil Hussain, who's a Trinidadian spinner, hasn't played for West Indies internationally yet, but... He, he's used to playing on spinning pitches in Trinidad, which resemble the subcontinent. So I think Walsh and Hussain will be good spinners to have against Bangladesh. And then the two pace bowlers I think we'll take are Alzavi Joseph, who's he's played in the IPL. He's played at top level. Um, unfortunately, injuries have hindered his career in recent years. But when he's fit, he's the best white ball bowler West Indies have. So he's on the tour, which is good. And then Shamar Holder, who made his test debut against New Zealand um, in December, had a great performance. He's been left out of the test side this time because of the return of Kimar Roach to the side, but he's been included in the ODI side. And I think his pace as well will generate a lot of wickets on, um, against Bangladesh. So I think the bowling is okay. Where I have concerns is the batting. E- even trying to imagine what, what kind of batting line at West Indies have, there's just so much inexperience. You've got um, Sunil Ambris will open. He scored 60 in the last ODI we played against Sri Lanka in March. So he's a player who's used to playing internationally. Um, he can do the opener job. However, his partner, which I imagine will be Kayon Otley, who's the only other opener in the squad, he's never played internationally. His last professional game was in November 2019. 
he averages 30 in Leicester cricket regionally. So you imagine he's going to struggle. And then that middle order is just going to be, you've, you've got the likes of Josh De Silva, who's um, made it into the West Indies test side as wicketkeeper. However, he's not proving himself at an international level with the white ball. So he's going to come in that middle order. Um, Jason Mohammed's the captain. He's 34 years old, last played for West Indies in 2018, ironically against Bangladesh. Um, so he's inexperienced as well in terms of recent performances. And then the major concern for me is obviously with modern ODI cricket, having those finishers, those power hitters. Mm-hmm. Our power hitter will be Rothman Powell, who's someone who struggled um, in recent years and never really cemented himself as a power finisher for West Indies. So for me, the bowling is going to be the strong point, but the batting order looks like it's, it's very likely to crumble in conditions against Bangladeshi bowlers. Equally, I think, I mean, running through that, that that squad and your sort of potential picks, for a lot of these players, like, this is an opportunity, isn't it? If you get a century against Bangladesh or you finish off with an average above 40 in, in you know, the one-dayers, you're saying, hang on, pick me long-term. And so, actually, I imagine for a lot of the West Indies players, this is a wonderful audition, like a real opportunity to sort of go out there, prove themselves and go, hang on, I'm part of the future plans here. Agreed, definitely. I think that, that could be one thing. You've got players hungry to prove a point. Um, Kayon Otley, who I mentioned, will most likely open. He's 31 years old. Nkrumah Bonner, who's likely to come in at number three or four, he's um, 31 years old as well. These are guys who have played regional cricket for 10, 12 years. So you imagine they're going to want to make the most of it um, in this series. And as you said, if someone gets a century, they're putting their hands up and saying, hold on, I've scored a century in subcontinent conditions. I should be in the West Indies squad permanently. And it'd be a valid argument to say so as well. <laughs> trying to, I'm just actually like looking through the kind of Bangladesh squad and trying to think what my starting eleven would be. And actually, do you know what? I think that the selectors actually have a tough job on your hands because when you, when I, I've said this before, it's a combination of the established Bangladesh with a sprinkling of the new. Your default is to start circling the 11 players that you would have started with already. I mean, you know, some, <laughs> of, the, some of the same stuff always always props up, you know, who's going to open with Tommy Mitchell? Is it going to be Litton Dart? Is it going to be someone like Nazmul Hussain? I'm excited to see how the kind of the bowlers line up, you know, this kind of new Tuscan arm and Rubble Hussain with their new fitness and their new rhythm um, and, and what kind of impetus they're going to Because actually Bangladesh have always lacked for me Kind of real potent opening fast bowling duo. You know, you've got the fears. You have yeah. Ashrafi Mortarza, but more than often than not, you 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 know throw the ball to Shakib or a spinner by the kind of seventh over and kind of go right. Let's get the work done now. So I think that that for me will be interesting. And then the middle order, it it's a hard one, isn't it? Because Shakib's back and you know he made such an impact to playing at number three during the World Cup. It's hard to say no to him now about playing that position. And then yeah. you have Mushfiq at four, and then five, six, seven. It could be you know any order of Marmadullah, Mossadegh, Mehdi Hassan. So Although I want to see some new blood sort of uh, nurtured into the team, it's hard to see where, after playing no cricket for a year in that first one-day international, where you would take a gamble, I think. Um, mm. And so I think I, I would expect we, we would see, at least for the first two matches, you know, a very kind of familiar Bangladesh lineup. I think. And in terms of, in terms of performances, I mean, obviously Bangladesh are, are the strong favourites here. So if you're imagining they will get a series win against West Indies in the ODI series, in terms of performances, what would you like to see more? Would you like to see strong batting performances, 300 plus totals? Or would you like to see um, the bowlers pick up pick up wickets and bowl West Indies out for low low totals? What what do you feel is more important for Bangladesh to kind of emphasise on this in this series? Well, I'd like to see like an adjustment to Test cricket, actually, because it's been a long time since we've played it. Um, I'd love to see a massive improvement in the bowling department. I think our top and middle order is a good when they click they click and so i'd like to see you know us restricting teams or frustrating teams or putting you know the, the west indies batsmen through slightly testing sessions in, in play i think i think that for me would be a kind of real win yeah i think i think the test the test series is going to be really interesting partly because as with the odi side we've had eight players drop out so it's completely 
completely wholesale change to the ODI side. The test side, however, you still got a core of the, the regular test team have come for this tour. So Craig Brathwaite, John Campbell, Jermaine Blackwood, Josh De Silva, Kemar Roach and Shannon Gabriel, who are going to be key as, as the bowlers. Um, Rakeem Cornwall with the left arm spin. And we've also brought in Vesami Pamul, um, left arm spin to, for the conditions. So I think the test series could be competitive because there is a, a general core of strong test players in the West Indies side. Um, and I know Bangladesh is, I guess, since the last time West Indies toured in 2018, Bangladesh haven't had the greatest test record. It's been a mixed one since we last played test matches because we beat Zimbabwe, but I feel like that's now an expectation for the Bangladesh team. And then obviously we were thrashed um, by Pakistan in Pakistan in that kind of slightly confusing two-part test match series that they were going to have. I think for Bangladesh, getting a result in the test will be probably the bigger challenge. And I think the expectation will, will be there given it's a slightly weakened West Indies team. But having said that, the caveat is they've not played tests for a very long time. And actually switching from formats into the longer format has always been quite a difficult thing for the Bangladeshi players to do. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I'm really excited that cricket is back in Bangladesh. And I think for Bangladesh fans, that's the main thing. It's the return of the green shirts. It's the return of the Tigers. It's the return of international cricket. And despite it not being a full-strength squad, despite the Bangladesh team not necessarily playing, having played cricket for a long time, I think that excitement is probably the, the, the headline mainly for, for, for Bangladesh fans. Um, it has been the weirdest series to preview for me. I don't know about you, but normally I sort of have a previous series, recent match results to go on. But trying to judge where Bangladesh are after a year away from international cricket, actually, for me, has been quite difficult and quite speculative, I think. Yeah, definitely. Particularly with the white ball side, it's it's been pure speculation on a lot of players who have only played at a domestic level. Um, in an alternative universe, we would be talking about Kyron Pollard, Nicholas Poor, and Shimon Hetmyer, big stars. Unfortunately, they haven't toured. But as you said, this is a celebration of cricket. We should be happy that cricket has been able to go ahead. And um, I'm looking forward to both series. What are your predictions? Then? What are your predictions? <laughs> so for the ODI squad, I'm. Um, I'm going to have some slight optimism and I'm going to go for 2-1 to Bangladesh. I think West Indies will get the consolation win, maybe if Bangladesh rest players in preparation for the Test Series. Um, Yourself? Yeah, do you know what? I actually agree. I think Bangladesh should win the first ODI quite easily, actually. I think, I think Bangladesh should win the ODI. Just the chemistry of the team should see them through. And then the second and third, it entirely depends on two things. Number one, complacency. Uh, and number two, do they decide to rest players and sort of experiment and um in regards to the test series i can't see anything other than a two two nil loss to bangladesh partly because with white ball cricket there are fine margins someone like uh, rothman powell or jason muhammad could have a good innings in an odi hit a century and take us to the win whereas obviously in the in the five-day format it's easier to get exposed and i just think that batting lineup from west indies in the test format is too brittle they won't be able to handle um the bangladeshi bowlers and i, I fear a two nil loss for me it, it depends on how that Bangladesh first innings goes. If it's mm. if it's a, a solid, you know, 400 on the board and the bowlers have got a lot to defend, I think we're on. If it's a a rusty performance where Bangladesh haven't played long-form cricket for a long time and they're playing rash shots and making mistakes that they've made in the past, the worst-case scenario for me would be seeing a Bangladesh 180 all out, which, you know, I don't want to happen. And so I think for me, the entire Test Series pins on that first Bangladesh innings, I think. Um, mm. I can see it being a draw. Oh, wow. <laughs> um I'm cynical to see whether, having not played in long-form cricket for, for, for a year, how many days these test matches will last. I can see both of them ending on the fourth day, to be honest. You know, yeah, I, that's the same. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not, I, don't, you know, I, I think the, the gear shift is going to be a big one. But Bangladesh have happened in the position where they've, they've had to do it before, and these players have all played in, played in the test team before. So, you know, and they're international cricketers. So, so I, think, I think if they get the one-day win, 
see as where the, I think the test series that should should follow. Yeah, I think I think as well the change in perception of Bangladesh. We talked earlier about how in 2009 they were seen as minnows. Even if West Indies had sent a full test squad out there, we wouldn't be expecting to get a result in Bangladesh just because how strong Bangladesh have proven themselves to be in recent years. Well, I'm looking really looking forward to seeing how this plays out. I'm looking forward to waking up and having to watch cricket at like 5 a.m. But- <laughs> I have missed it. I have genuinely, genuinely missed it. So I'm really looking forward to it. Sam, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been really appreciated. And I've enjoyed looking forward to what is going to be a slightly surreal series, I think. Yeah, definitely. I've enjoyed talking with yourself and I'm, I'm looking forward as well to getting up at, uh, in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., 5 a.m. to watch um, um, good cricket. <laughs> thank you very much for joining me. And thank you for listening to the Bangla Cricket Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at anytime, podcast at bunglacricket.co.uk and we'll see you for the next episode very soon.